And we are recording with my live. Home, with my <laughs> we are with my homie, my pal, Mr. Roger Williams. On Sunday, July thirtieth, twenty twenty three, at four thirteen p.m. Eastern time, Roger is the author of my favorite book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. I know through the the gaming stream, we've turned on a couple more people to it. Um, I think was it Fwimple? I think uh, Parallels. We've got some more people to read it, and they understand i'm not insane it is a fantastic book and um <laughs> but i was just about to ask you it has nothing to do with so in today's show is going to be about paper creed was mm-hmm. the reason why there are no shows yesterday uh is i've been telling people i just didn't sleep friday not a single second and i have no idea why and i don't give a shit it's just whatever i didn't so i can't sometimes believe. that happens That's... yeah so i i was having i laid yeah. back down yesterday and i was like i'm still having trouble falling asleep and i think i conked out at 2 p.m woke up at 11 a.m. and was like jesus so um but i was about to ask you and this has nothing to do with the show um have you ever watched uh steve mre 1989 on youtube he's this guy that just reviews mres and uh, it's an incredibly addictive channel uh that does sound interesting dude it is he is so good at it and he has such a legitimate passion for it and you can hear him when he opens up like stuff you'd never think you'd be like now this is really cool it's like a 1955 british air force mre he's like now normally from this set you'll never see this and it's he's so good at it and some of them are just funny because they're gross he'll eat like he'll he'll eat them so long as they're not rotted he'll eat them the oldest one he ever ate was an 1899 boar war fucking and the joke the joke was like because he took like a month out a month off after people were like is steve dead and like, um, but he recently <laughs> did one just the other day of uh, of U two MREs, and they're unlike any of the other ones because they're just tubes of like apple pie or whatever, right? And they have to stick it through their helmet and shit. And uh, I was watching those when I couldn't fall asleep, and I know I'm hungry when the MRE videos <laughs> make me hungry. When he's eating like fucking freeze dried carrots from Vietnam, and I'm like, oh, that looks fucking good. Um, I'll 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 trade you. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels is a guy named Doug who has a channel named I Do Cars. Is that the engine and, one? Yeah. Every Saturday night, he tears down an engine, uh, a uh, a core, to find out why it's a core and yeah. not a working engine. And sometimes there's exploded pistons and carnage and, yeah. you know, gravel and the oil pan and shit. And then sometimes it's more subtle because yeah. you never know. It's yeah. like, you know, you know, sometimes there's an, ins- what it says, like, oh, there's an inspection port. Yeah. Because it threw a rod through the side of the engine case or something. Uh, I, I have learned more about engines from that channel than from any other source it's amazing he's torn down the engine that is in both my personal and my work car like he's torn down three of them yeah so it's like oh that's how that works there there is i think you do start to see the real value in terms of like a content creator of being passionate about Mm -hmm. you know as as you said the other night, you're like you should always make content for yourself. As Stan Lee said, write what you want to read, not what other people, and you'll you'll fu- you'll attract the right people. I don't care about MREs, but he is so passionate <laughs> about them 
that you he makes go, you passionate the about passion, them. The it's passion like, starts to bleed. Whereas you look at it, you go, yeah, it's an MRE. He'd be like, now this is interesting because you can see what happens is like the air, you know, the air seal used to break. So starting after eighty one, you actually start to see. And like he did a he did a pizza MRE that I was like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, like a lunchable or something. And it was like the long sought after. And people were commenting like like veterans. They're like, dude, I remember they told us they were gonna make this in Desert Storm, like. Iraq war veterans were like, I can't believe they finally made the pizza. And you start to realize there's this whole fucking micro community around MREs and stuff. It really is. But that, well, if you've been in the service, so you know, then then you know yeah. you're eating them every day. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that, that becomes important. <laughs> yeah, but you start to see, and it really is like, and I don't care about MR, but then you just start to, you know, even little things like the package. You realize the, people are like living on this shit. Yeah. It's, it's you know that's their you know that. That's everything as far as food for them. Yeah, and I guess know? I always just had this. Incorrect... They can't freaking go to McDonald's in yeah. Iraq. So and so like I, ha- I always had just this incorrect assumption. I-, I just thought like I was like yeah like K rations like World War One or you know World War Two the you know the coffee like the, the the fucking tin mug, but then it's like he did right when the war started. He did like a twenty twenty two Ukrainian one and then he did like a Russian one, <laughs> and you realize just how advanced they are, and it's like. And you have to eat the whole thing because the whole thing is also about, like, uh, they're all artificially, like, juiced up with vitamins and stuff. And it's – but you just see all the – on the battlefields. Yeah, but no, but you just <laughs> you just see it all. And it's, like – I think the importance is, is, yeah, you can tell when the passion comes through of the person. Like, he could be talking about engines. And it's, like, I never mm-hmm. thought I cared about this. And it's uh, – I guess to tie it in, we could say that that's what – uh these professor roger episodes are yeah. i mean people love them because you not only do you know the topic and it's often stuff that goes over my head and i go i don't care but if you bring up yeah no paper is concrete <laughs> the first thing i did was like we're doing an episode on that because i know you're going to make it interesting so with that i'm gonna shut the fuck up roger take it away all right uh well you know in that vein uh something that you probably don't know about me it's it's never come up between us is that for much of my life i have been a major alternative housing nerd uh anything that you know suggested better cheaper uh easier to make housing was fascinating to me so i was like geodesic domes underground earth ships which made out of tires you know uh, anything like that i was all over it uh and of course papercrete which is our topic du jour uh and uh so today's presentation will be in three sections i'm going to talk because i have no show and tell about what other people have done because other people have done quite a bit and i have actually personally gone and observed some of it then i'm going to talk about some of the stuff that i did in my garage which uh some of which was actually pretty fucking great just saying uh and and then i'll talk about why i am living in a stick built house in a subdivision instead of an alternative house Hmm. out in the country uh so to start papercrete was invented in the 1920s and it was patented and the guy who patented it didn't make a dime off of it because it's too cheap uh basically you pulp paper in a hydropulper Portland cement in it. The Portland cement makes the paper stable. Once the paper dries out, which takes a really long time, uh, then it has a surprisingly high 
tensile and compressive strength, and you can use it as a bulk construction material. Well, not a lot was done with it, but until the 70s and 80s, you know, this is when you started to get the the flower kids and the hippies and all in, and everybody was building geodesic domes. This is, you know, and this is where I came into it because this is when I reached, you know, as like I was in high school in the 70s, and so the 70s and 80s. It's like I had major portions of Dome Book 2 memorized, and I knew all the math about geodesic domes and stuff. Uh, but people were starting to make papercrete. And the magic moment for papercrete actually occurred when a guy named Mike McCain invented the standard mixer for papercrete, which is called the toe mixer. All right, so before the toe mixer, if you were building a house out of papercrete, you would probably have something like a 96-gallon garbage can with a one or two-horsepower two motor and an impeller to, to do the mixing for you. The toe mixer, just to build one of those, you start with the back end of a rear-wheel drive vehicle, like a, generally a pickup truck. And you point the differential up instead of toward the front. And you make a trailer out of it. Of course, making trailers out of the back end of a pickup truck is a redneck thing as old as pickup trucks are. Uh, then you get a 200-gallon feedstock tank, which is about six feet in diameter. And you have to cut a hole in the bottom of it for the differential, pop it on the trailer that you just built, then seal it up mm -hmm. so it doesn't leak. Uh, and then you cut most of the drive shaft off and you weld a riding lawnmower blade to it. Uh, now, what this creates is when you drag the trailer, the tow mixer, behind another vehicle, mm -hmm. the wheels cause the differential to spin, which causes causes the lawnmower blade to spin, and it mixes your product. What's nifty about it is that the biggest motor you can really power from, like, uh, a, an outlet socket in your house is around one to two horsepower. But your car or pickup truck has uh, an engine in the 100 horsepower class. So when you're dragging this thing behind a car, you're having a much more powerful engine than you do. So there's an so there's an enormous gap as for you as an individual non-industrial customer of the whole service environment, you you have a lot more power there to apply. So uh, so what you do is you put 200 gallons of water, uh 40 to 60 pounds of paper and a bag of cement in the mixer and you drag it about a mile half a mile out half a mile back by then it is all nicely hydro pulped papercrete slip at that point you have forms you have a lot of forms they need to be simple and cheap because you need a lot of them. 
And what most of the builders did is they would make sure that their tow vehicle, which was probably a pickup truck, and the mixer would clear the forms. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. most of these guys were making like Adobe-sized forms. They're four inches high, 16 inches long, a foot a foot thick. That was, it's it's almost like a standard that the thickness of a papercrete wall is a foot. And you drag the trailer over it, open the slip valve, fill it up. Okay, pull the car forward, do it again, pull the car forward, do it again, until you have dumped 200 gallons of papercrete slip into the forms. At that point, uh, you go have a coffee, because it's going to take between a week and 10 days before you can remove the forms. Okay. And it's going to take about three weeks to f or more before you can actually use the bricks before they dry out enough for you to actually build something with. So them. a week to take things off, and then three weeks for it to actually be able to like hold. Right, weight. because a papercrete block like that that's just been simply cast, okay, eighty percent of it is water. So you will have twenty pounds of paper and eighty pounds of water. <laughs> And the water has to evaporate. Uh, most papercrete construction has been done in the desert, in the American Southwest. Uh, and I actually went to a place. Uh, there is a bed and breakfast in Marathon, Texas, called Eve's Garden. Do not put evesgarden.com to your say. web browser. That, that does not a, go to it. That's about to say, that sounds like a slippery slope. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it's a very nice bed and breakfast, uh, which has several units, a few of which are made of papercrete. You know, so, so it's like you can go stay there for a few days and you know stay in a room that was built this way out of papercrete and experience it without having to build one for yourself first. Uh, and uh, we went there a couple of times. I spent quite a bit of time with the guy who uh, built those units. Uh, he was uh, named Clyde Curry. Uh, he's no longer listed on their website. I have a bad feeling because uh, he was my age, probably in the aughts when I was doing this. So he may have passed or he may have gone on to something else. but. Uh, but he spent a lot of time. He he had spent a lot of time with a lot of the other people doing papercrete. So when I told him, well, I read this in this book, and he's like, I know that guy, and this is like some you know the dirty laundry and everything. So it was like it was it was very uh, in interesting. Uh, and and he 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 was very open. He showed me his techniques. He 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 let me participate when you know he was doing a batch and showed me how he did everything uh, with his technique. Uh, and then in, uh, told me, you know, well, and these other people do these different things and stuff, you know. So uh, uh, it was it was really great, and uh, it was also informative because uh, in the desert, papercrete performs really, really well because it is massive. It's not as massive as rock uh, or brick or adobe. But it does have enough mass that it kind of has that quality. Like the walls of this house, right? This is a stick-built house. 
So the walls of this house are basically air contaminated by a little wood. Yeah. Okay. A papercrete house has foot-thick walls that uh, are really, really insulators. good insulators. So you have a combination of the thermal mass and the insulation. It was striking that how, uh, particularly the second time, the first time we stayed there, uh, our room was straw bale. Uh, the, sec- the second time I told Clyde, I was like, I really want to stay in a papercrete room. And, you know, you, you know they gave cold. us an upgrade. Huh? It was, it, uh, you, you, you walk into it, it was 100 degrees outside, it would be 70 inside. And, well, there's no humidity because it's a yeah. desert, so that's not a problem. Uh, you know, and at night, it was the other way around because the walls have thermal mass and they're mm-hmm. good insulators. So it'd be 40 outside because the desert does that. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. it's 100 in the day and it's 40 at night. But the the room was like comfortable all the time. It's just like you, you didn't need climate control. Hmm. So that was an, uh, a, a fun thing to learn about it. Um, but the problem is I was looking at building in Mississippi which is not a desert. No. Uh, and uh, papercrete has a weakness, rather like Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable. It's water. Yeah. Papercrete is an incredibly efficient sponge. Gotcha. So I did a few experiments. I started out doing exper- experiments in my garage using a food processor as my mixer and so i was making little bitty blocks okay and i and i found that just putting one of those in ground contact here in southern louisiana even if it didn't rain it would fill with water it would literally wick the water out of the soil until it was saturated and that makes it five times heavier which is not a real good thing for construction materials. Uh, so the, uh, the like, like I said though, but uh, there are structures, quite a few of them in the Southwest that were built out of this because there it it rains occasionally, and there are different strategies to deal with this. The thing is, you can't seal up papercrete. Because if you seal it and then water gets in anyway, then it can't get out. Hmm. So what most people do is they seal the interior. They build a they, they build a wall and they seal the interior. They paint the interior and they leave the exterior exposed. That way if water gets in, the water can then evaporate outward into the environment instead of evaporating inward into the domicile uh there is also the matter of the roof okay it's it's fairly straightforward a lot you know, a lot of people uh make paper greet bricks the size of adobes that was what clyde did that's what he showed me uh which is basically four inches high 16 inches long 12 inches wide that's that's a standard adobe brick the difference is a standard adobe brick like that weighs 60 pounds the papercrete one weighs 20 pounds when it's dry when it's wet it weighs 100 Hmm. Um, so 
the problem is you build the walls and you get to the roof. You basically got three options there. Option one is to try to build a papercrete roof. And which is really makes a certain amount of sense because you're you want the thermal insulation, the thermal mass mm -hmm. and everything covering the entire building. The problem with that is if it gets wet, something really bad could happen. It's gonna yeah. It's gonna collapse. <laughs> uh so option two is you just put a normal roof on it. Yeah. They build papercrete walls, and then you put just a normal truss and a metal roof or whatever on top of it, which is better than nothing. You've you know, you've got a semi win there over building the whole thing stick built. Option three is you build vaults. The walls curve up, meet one another, and you have an arch. Uh, that was the way the rooms were built at Eve's Garden. And that was what I was planning on, uh, because that way you have the the advantage of the whole thing, and you get the the strength of it. But you you still have to manage the strength of materials and all. I taught myself several engineering courses that I did not actually take in college in the course of this project. So what got me onto this, of course, was Hurricane Katrina. And so this was part of the Hurricane Katrina freakout after we got back and we were like, uh, maybe we should bug out to the country. Well, and my, my wife was like, yeah, but I'm also like afraid of tornadoes, which is particularly in light of recent development was, was a very sensible fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was like, well, okay. So, you know, for, if you want tornado-proof housing, then, and you want it for a price that ordinary mortals can afford, then you're looking at alternative construction. So, uh, one of the things that I did in the course of this little project uh, is I installed a finite element analysis engine on my computer and taught myself to make models for it. This was uh it's a much more common thing today because they have slicers and all you can just build your model with a 3d model or like you know and and just have the slicer make the elements uh i had to write software to do that it's a pain in the ass um but uh you know it was meant to run under linux but there is a compatibility layer that allows it to run under Windows. So I had to get that working. And then uh, when I got it all working, because the commercial versions of these products, they charge you by the number of elements that it will support. So a good commercial finite element analysis machine, where you can put a model into it and blow wind at it and put gravity on it and forces and shit like that and then see where the stresses are and how you know it's like you know several thousand dollars the one that i downloaded was written by a graduate student so how do i trust this program that was written by a graduate student when i finally get it working i did that by modeling a bog simple square 
Say it again. Bog. A bean. Bog simple. What's bog simple? It's it's just is that a saying or like an actual. Yeah, it's just a saying. Gotcha. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, so a simple square bean, which there are equations for mm -hmm. in those textbooks that I had to start reading. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. And so I could see whether the finite element engine agreed with what the textbook said a beam that size should do as far as deflection and stresses and stuff. And uh, it, it agreed perfectly. So then I felt fairly uh, confident doing things like vaults and trusses and stuff. Um, now, I was doing all kinds of math, and that was one of the things Clyde Curry looked at me like I was from Mars, for, you know, when I, when I told him. It's like I figured out, you know, uh, oh, yeah, one cubic centimeter of papercrete contains 300 meters of cellulose fiber. Okay. <laughs> and that implies a certain number of intersection points. And in papercrete, what happens is those intersection points are sometimes knitted together by a Portland cement particle that grows spikes through them and clings them together. It acts as a point of nucleation. Right. So uh, now the problem is that, you know, okay, so the basic uh, mix, and, and of course all architectural papercrete mixes are based on tow mixers, 200-gallon batches. Uh, the basic single bag mix results in about five to seven diameters of the cellulose fiber between likely binding points. Uh, and that means that that fiber is likely acting like what they call a long column in engineering biz, which means that if you put pressure on it, it will buckle. And I don't have, Clyde gave me a couple of bricks that he had cast. I threw them out a long time ago because I didn't have any use for them. But uh, one of those adobes made of, you can bend them. They're flexible. They're, they're, they're not completely rigid. Mm -hmm. They are pretty strong. You know, you can stand on them. You can, you know, if you put enough of them together, you can park your truck on top of them but they're not completely rigid. And that's because of the distance between the binding points of the fibers. Now, what most paper creators do, uh, because, you know, once, once you've made enough bricks to build your wall, you have to connect them together somehow. Mm -hmm. So what most of them do is they do a two-bag mix is the same formula uh a lot of a lot of them put sand in the one bag mix it makes the bricks a little heavier a little more massive gives them more thermal mass i was never a fan of that because it doesn't add strength in fact it subtract it it it, it subtracts strength but it was you know it's, it's a thing that they did but for the mortar most of them just you know it was pure cellulose and two bags of Portland cement. 
and they would uh so you put them together with like half an inch of mortar between them and then you face the walls with the mortar because the walls are soft otherwise that was a striking thing about the structures at eve's gardens that they were they were massive they were it was it was the temperature was great the sound quality was great. but yeah the whole it was like it was organic the whole Weird. structure would move slightly even when dry yeah Huh. Uh, so one of the things that I did in the late going of, of my project, which was like 2000, mid 2006 to 2008 was I used my finite element analysis engine to analyze that kind of wall because I had used the bricks that Clyde gave me and the samples that he gave me to measure the Young's modulus how much it bent under what force, uh, the tensile and compressive strength, you know, what to, what it took to rupture. I was I was measuring shit. And that was one of the things that impressed Clyde. It's like this guy is doing metrics. It's like I was like, no all of these guys are amateurs who 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 did all this. They're throwing shit in the tow mixer, running around, throwing it together and see what the wall does. I'm I'm doing little samples in my garage and I'm measuring them hmm. with you know like scales and shit because that's what I do uh and so I made this finite you know so it's like I got all the parameters and I made this FEA model of the basic papercrete wall where you make the blocks and and put them together with the two bag finish and i realized that the bricks aren't taking any of the load all of the load is being supported by the mortar all of it it's it's like the more the, the bricks are not doing anything Decorative. except only yeah except except absorbing water yeah so i so so i actually was looking into I was looking into several things uh, toward the end of my project, and one of them was using cardboard boxes as the bricks because that eliminates an entire very time-consuming step. It eliminates the papercrete sponges absorbing water until the wall weighs 10 times what it did when you built it and all. Uh, Particularly if I was, you know, because I, at the time, the company I worked for did not have uh, offices on the West Coast. They actually do today, but now I'm too old and decrepit to think of doing a project like this. But uh, so I had to think about doing this in Mississippi, which is a wet yeah. environment. Uh, so water is a, is a major problem there. Uh, and and as I was looking, it's like you know the the paper the the, the bricks aren't doing anything, uh, and you know it's, it's like if you eliminate the bricks, then you what? But what you do have there is a nice cellular structure with a material that is fairly strong and stiff, the two bag mixed mortar, and it takes loads very nicely. So that was the thing I was looking at. But uh, where I came into it, uh, you know, as a, an inventor was 
when I was still doing the earliest models where I was using a food processor as my mixer and doing samples that were like I could hold in my hand, uh, I f figured out that you could press the water out. Oh. And the cement would stay. And Clyde Curry himself told me he knew of a guy who had decided he was going to build a uh, a press to do compressed papercrete, but he made it watertight because that's what you do when you're building a hydraulic press, right? And he forgot that water is not compressible. Yeah. What you have to do is you have to provide vents that are en enough to let the water out, but not enough for that won't let the cellulose fibers out and if you you know by the time you get the slip into the form you know you've mixed it you've hydropulped it you get it into the form uh by that time the uh the portland cement particles have mostly bonded to some piece of cellulose somewhere mm -hmm. and when you squish it the water that comes out is pure. It's it's perfectly clear. It's probably, all of the cement is super pure. Yeah, all of the cement stays with the papercrete and you can squish it to about half of its original volume. That's where life got interesting. <laughs> you can squish so, the dried uh, brick to half of its volume? You what well, no, you you all right, so when you're doing a, a simple papercrete thing, you just dump the slip into a form, let it set, okay, and then hope the water will evaporate someday. What I figured out is that you can dump the slip into the form and then put pressure on it and push half the water out. Okay. And it won't push the cement out. Oh. And then, when you remove it from the form, it's actually very dense and much more structural. Don't have to wait. Is there any benefit? Aside? I guess if denser and more structural. I was going to say, I thought the only benefit would be you just cutting the the dry time down it does that it does that too uh the drying time goes down to less than a you know yeah really just a few days uh even in southern louisiana because this is where i was doing my experiments so you know you're talking about three weeks in arizona hmm. versus four days in my garage in a to, wet place yeah, to completely dry out in a place where the humidity is sixty percent all the time. Yeah. So, uh, so why did I get out of that? Hmm. Okay. This is compressed papercrete, and I used to have dozens and dozens of samples like this. I did a lot of experiments. Uh, you can tell this one's a little bent. Yeah. That's because I got into the habit of, uh, extracting them from the form that made them immediately. And sometimes they weren't entirely rigid by then. So it's like, I, 
How much, that, like? how much is that weigh? Uh, this, uh, probably about three or four ounces. Okay. Just so, yeah, it's it. very lightweight. It looks like concrete. Yeah. It looks like it should weigh a pound or two, yeah. but it's actually only a few ounces. Uh, and it is very strong. Uh, and not only that. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh... Conventional papercrete doesn't do that. It it it's soft. It, you know, if if you whack it with your finger or a spoon or something, it doesn't ring like that. So, this was like Okay. Now, how did I make this? Yeah. Toilet paper roll? Or like there you go, piping. PVC. Uh-huh. And This is a two-inch diameter air cylinder. Now, this bimbo cylinder would have cost about $200. Okay? Uh, the reason I had it to do this experiment is... Excuse me here. It took a joyride in a shipping container after Hurricane Katrina. And when the shipping container landed 15 miles from where it had started, uh, the owners of the equipment in the shipping container asked us to refurbish it and make it all good. And one of the things that we did was replace the air cylinders because you don't know what mischief they've got up to while they were in the shipping container being floated away by the hurricane. And so I intercepted them on the way to the dumpster. And I have two of them. That was one. That was the one that made these. And the other one made something I'm about to show you. Uh, so anyway, that was what taught me that this material could be made much denser and more rigid and, more importantly, less hungry for water than the parent material. Because... Uh, regular gravity cast papercrete will absorb five times its weight in water. This will only absorb about its weight in water, which is a big improvement. It's still not great. It's like, yeah, we lose one to two million people a year to war. That's still not anything to be proud of, but it's, it's an improvement. Okay. Uh, but also this is not really a convenient shape to build something out of. So, my next project was to make something that could make these. Yes, this is made of paper. <laughs> uh, and this was made almost Identically to the way this was. How much is that by squish? Weigh? Huh? How much is that weigh? Uh, this weighs about a pound. Uh, the central, you know, I I made it out of one inch uh, square two tubular aluminum shapes, so it's three inches square in the middle and five around the perimeter, uh, and uh. 
as you can see, it's very regular. Mm -hmm. So you could imagine using this as a building material. Uh, I don't have the entire apparatus anymore, but I do have... This is the exterior of the form that made this. And at one time, this was mounted on an apparatus very similar to that with the piston. Uh, one thing that I found was paper does not flow. So uh, in my first... Flow. flow. So what I found is that uh, you know, I, originally I tried to make a piston that had a center to to make it a little hollow, to you know try not to make you know a solid block like you know it's not necessary, right? What I found out is that when the center of the cylinder would reach a certain point, it would stop compressing. It didn't matter how much I, I could I crank the air compressor up to max. And it wouldn't go any further, but the walls were not compressed. So then, when I tried to uh, remove it from the form, the walls would be all wobbly and shit, and weak, you know, because they weren't properly formed. So I had to make a two-part piston, mm -hmm. and I would apply the pressure to it until it stopped, then pull the pin on the center element and let it push the walls up until they properly compressed. <laughs> and uh, I got these. Uh, now, these are pretty fucking rad. Yeah. Uh, I, I put one of these in the backyard in southern Louisiana, and you would think, it's like, termites will not eat this. Hmm. They apparently choke on the Portland cement particles, whatever. Mold will grow on them. <laughs> on, okay. so, because they'll get wet, but uh, they don't lose strength. So it's this is a proper building material. Yeah. You know, this is it's it's not quite as strong as wood, but you can form it into uh, different shapes, and it doesn't have the. Uh, The directional properties that wood does, where all the fibers are in one direction, yeah. because they're all they're all mixed up. So this is actually three dimensionally stable product. You can use it in any orientation. Now the problem that I had with it is that I couldn't control the z axis very effectively. The thickness, this thickness. Uh, no matter how carefully I tried to control the amount. Of cellulose that I put in the mix, it, it, the the final thing would vary by five or ten percent. And if I tried to, to limit the compression to control that, then there would be weak spots. So that was a problem because if if your bricks are not all the same height, how do you build something with them? Yeah. So that was a little bit of a dead end. But I learned a lot from it. That's when I thought. Just make it solid. 
Okay. This brick is exactly the dimension that I intended it to be within a hundredth of an inch in all three dimensions. Hmm. Now, if this brick isn't, how did I do that here? Well, it's simple. Oh. <laughs> oh, all right. Compress it from inside. Okay. Okay. So that is where this form came from. And, uh, my microphone cable just decided to... What the hell? I can still hear you fine. Yeah, but my... Uh, that was it wrapped on something. Cable decided to take a ride with my chair. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's where, this form came from. Jesus. And yes, I made this in my garage. Okay. All right. So how does this work? Well, That's where you put the paper grease slip. Uh -huh. And this is what compresses it. And I spent two months figuring out how to make this dildo. It's like... I was going to ask, what is that? All right. It's latex rubber. Okay, and then you just pump it up. Yeah, so I had to, I had to make a form. And, and the ironic thing is if I had done it like two... If I had done it two years later, I could have just had the damn thing 3D printed by an online shop, but instead, I had to build a jig and use a trim router with a bunch of jigs and shit to cut these trenches in it and all. Then, I had to mount this, the form that this this is made from, uh, in an incubator to keep it warm and rotate it so that the rubber mm -hmm. wouldn't drip off the bottom. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that was a whole production to to make this this bladder. Uh, and uh, I found out that I needed to compress it before inserting it because mm -hmm. it displaced too much of the slip. So I had to get a vacuum pump, which there are vacuum pumps that work on the Bernoulli principle. Mm -hmm. that are powered from your air compressor. So I would start, well, I would put the slip in the form, right? Then I would take the air compressor, you know, I had a little valve thing here, and I would uh, turn on the vacuum pump and suck this down so it became a thin little thing, and then plop into the, yeah. Slip in the form and, and uh, you know, lock it in place. And I found that uh, now if I put more than three or four PSI on that thing in free air, it would go pop like a balloon. But I found but has, with everything uh, constrained in this form, then I could put 100 PSI on it and it would just 
squished the paper crate beautifully. It's like the early rocket skins were so thin that the rocket could only stand up if it was full of fuel. If you just left it there, it was fucked. Right. Gotcha. It was. It, it's. It's very similar to that, as a matter of fact. So. Uh, so then, I squish it. You know. So I put the slip in. You know. You know. Blow it up. Squish it. Pull this back out. Then. How do I get it out of the form? Now, the way that I got. Oops. Excuse me. The way that I got the cylinders out of the form. Like this, okay, and 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 this guy is, I would just take the top off the form, and then put the air on the cylinder again. And just it would uh, just come up like an elevator. Huh. That doesn't work with this, okay. So, I had to come up with a mechanism to release it. And it's going to. <laughs> so okay. it would open up like that and I would do that just when it was like this this is why these ready bolt supports are here so it would be just clearing the place where I wanted the final thing to drop and yes this was a lot of work to make uh, also this plastic you might notice it's a bit thicker. Mm -hmm. The uh, the other form is made out of carving, you know, just chopping blocks from yeah. Walmart. This is ultra high density polyethylene. This plastic is forty dollars a pound Fuck. as pellets, and this form weighs about twenty pounds. Uh, Eight hundred dollars. I intercepted it on the way to the dumpster. This was all stuff that was used to build something that didn't work and they were going to throw it away and I was like, put that in my car instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Hey Roger, real quick, uh, Mopey commercial, tell them where to get it. I gotta go to the bathroom. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you would like a copy of my book, The Metamorphosis of Prime and Elect, uh, which a lot of people have liked, uh, I encourage you to go to lulu.com. You will have to create an account now uh, because it is uh, and it has adult themes. Uh, it used to be freely available. In fact, when I first uploaded it, it was freely available. You know, it, I I put uh, I, I put age restrictions on it myself. And Lulu begged me to take them off because it was limiting the sales. And now, things being what they are culturally, they've put the age restrictions back on. So you have to create an account and assert that you are actually an adult. Uh, but if you buy it from them, uh, it'll be the same price as if you buy it from Amazon or any of the other usual suspects. But I get a lot more money. Like, six dollars instead of a buck fifty uh on the other hand if you got an amazon gift card or 12 years old or whatever the thing is then you know go ahead and buy it from amazon that is where i get most of my income you know from this anyway uh 
I have a real job. It's all beer money. So it's, uh, it's all good. Um, it's just, uh, you'd be doing me a solid and Lulu because I've always respected them because the way they approached the whole self-publishing thing when everybody else was doing the vanity publishing scam where you pay to have your book printed and then if no one you know it's like then then you're on your own to have it marketed no lulu actually uh sets you up their their whole premise is that they make money if you make money so they have a marketing thing they have a store they they do the whole thing for you and they were doing that long before amazon was so uh give them a little love that's the primal commercial thank you sir. <laughs> I've, I've been for a reason i'll explain in our time i've been drinking even more water than usual and my god is i'm i'm feeling it <laughs> uh okay so so i invented that mm -hmm. and my plan was to make a form that would have 12 dildos instead of one and be about a foot wide and 16 to 18 inches long to make a truly building sized building block. And the idea there is that this material, once you've compressed it, you can remove it from the form almost immediately okay. and it will hold its shape. The other thing is that this material, what I envisioned was instead of using mortar, which means mixing more papercrete when you're getting ready to build a wall, was instead would glue them together with wood glue because they're dimensionally accurate. And that creates a bond that is stronger than the paper. And these surfaces don't need to be mortared. They're perfectly cromulent. They're, you know, they, you can just paint them. Perfectly what? Cromulent. What's that? It's another slang word for it. it's it's good. Got it. <laughs> it's good. Uh, so uh, that was kind of the direct. You know, I was going in that direction there. Uh, I was also doing experiments because Clyde Curry had told me about his recipe for mortar and his papercrete recipes, and I was also doing experiments toward the idea of using cardboard boxes with two-bag mortar, which would not be compressed, to create a cellular structure that would be far stronger than a normal wall. Uh, and that all came to an end in 2008. And uh, that was when I reached the point where I could not expand what I was doing without buying land because I needed, you know, in, or, in order to make one of these blocks, uh, I was using a two gallon drum and a paint mixer as my paper creep mixer. Uh, and I, I realized it's like, well, if I was going to do anything larger, I would have to at least get to the garbage can range, if not the tow mixer range. Uh, in fact, I was probably never going to get to the tow mixer range because what I was planning to do 
was going to be a little more labor intensive on the making blocks part but then it would be less labor intensive on the putting the blocks together to make a wall part so that would even out but uh so i was starting to look at land and i was looking in mississippi because the company i worked for had an office there then and they didn't have any offices in the southwest then they do now, but now I'm also almost 60 years old, so this is not an approachable project for mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah, because this was all 20 years ago. Uh, and I was having problems, because what I really wanted was somewhere between three and five acres. One acre was not going to really be enough land for me to do what I wanted to do. Uh, 20 was both beyond my need, needs and my my means and my needs it was it was more, it would be more land than i needed and there were very few people selling parcels in between those two ranges you basically had people who had subdivided their properties into residential lots mm-hmm. maybe large ones of an acre or so but still and people selling the back 20 or the back 40 and there wasn't a lot in between so i was wrestling with that and looking for a way to deal with it and then the housing market collapsed and part of the plan all along at this point in my life had been that we would sell this place where I am now and that would cover any loans that we might have to take out to finance the project well it was becoming obvious that selling this place was going to be impossible no one was buying anything and so that kind of put a break on everything. And then in 2014, I had to make a visit to the cath lab and have a stent put in. And I realized there were certain advantages to living in a city two miles from a hospital with a modern cath lab and, you know, all that, all that stuff. And so, you know, being an older person, the whole dream that I had had my entire life of moving to the boonies and, and you know, might not have been all that it was cracked up to be. So, uh, even at 32, when, I like being about a mile and a half from like a fucking enormous hospital. It's just, yeah. oh, my dad lives like in walking distance yeah. of a good hospital. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so so that changed my entire perspective on it. So when it did finally become possible, uh, it's like, yeah, today I could sell this house very easily. But by, you know, the late teens, I was like, uh, no, I think I kind of like living here uh, just because of, you know, health stuff and convenience and all so this whole project just turned out to be you know i wrote about 150,000 words of notes on experiments that i did uh you know this is like two two years of all of my spare time went into this project uh clyde curry who met most of the people who have you know, if if you read any of the books where Papercrete is mentioned, 
you know, people like Mike McCain, and there's a few other names. He met them. Hmm. He knew these guys. And he said he had never seen samples like these. This, this was a new thing. Uh, but as with the guy who originally invented it in 1926, I think uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's not something you can commercialize. Now, it would be something really cool because the uh, the whole thing is we put billions of tons of paper into landfills every year. And this is a way to turn that into something much more useful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's a double win. Uh, but the flip side of that is we had overbuilt luxury housing in the years after 08. And so one of the reasons there were so many homeless people, it wasn't that there weren't homes. It was that the homes were too expensive and there were too many of those too expensive homes, not enough homes that an ordinary person could afford who was working a minimum wage job. So that kind of put another damper on the whole idea that I had had for my entire life of, you know, the, you know, making housing cheaper and making it more accessible would be a wonderful thing. And it was like, well, that's not the problem anymore. It's more that our economy uh, basically shot itself in the foot. Uh, And so we have all these empty homes that cost $400,000 and people who are homeless who can't afford that. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, is there like a cent, like a central repository of information to where you can sort of pass the baton to people that maybe are still looking at it? Not really. Uh, it's not hard to find information about Papercrete on on the internet if you do the Google thing. That's you know, it's one of those things that was really out there when the internet was first getting started. So the search engines are really well seated. Yeah. With the They're information now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's like Mike McCain, the guy that invented the tow mixer, ended up making uh, quite a little side thing, not building structures, but selling tow mixers. Because a lot of people who feel comfortable pulping paper, casting blocks, mortaring them together to make walls, all that stuff are intimidated by things like welding hmm. and the stuff that you have to do to make a tow, a tow mixer, you know, you know, to, to turn a, a truck bed into a trailer and, and all that stuff. And so he had quite a little sideline going for some years where that was what he did was he made tow mixers. I've actually seen one being transported here in Louisiana. Hmm. I was like, you know, it was like, because you don't, just pull if if you're if you're taking it a long distance if you have a tow mixer you don't just tow it like a trailer because you'll wear it out yeah you know the the, the blade will fly off or something so you actually have to put it on another trailer that's just a trailer and I've seen that yeah. here in Louisiana somebody was moving a tow mixer from one place to another and it was, I saw it on the interstate and it's like I know what that is yeah <laughs> so then. I guess what I was asking about your your notes and stuff is, you know, if if the guy Curry Curry said that, you know, you had done things he hadn't seen before, 
I was just wondering, like, what had you had you uncovered or, you know, just through research kind of created novel information that it wouldn't be world changing, but you would you could add to the database of whatever. Yeah. It, well, the it, at that time, it wasn't quite as easy as it is now to disseminate information. And uh, I, I never really did anything else with it. I did leave him with a bunch of my samples. Mm -hmm. And I know he was in communication with a lot of people, but no, I don't, no one ever got in touch with me. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I suspect... I was just thinking of it, so it like wasn't all for naught, I guess. That's how I was looking at it. It was... It, it, yeah, you could you could say it was all for nothing. It, it, it's... Well, uh, I... That's that I, wouldn't be an unfair reading of it. Uh, I mean, it wasn't for nothing because you know what? I had a lot of fun. I was about to say, I learned man, stuff. I, I spent four years all day. You get, you think I put a lot of time into the podcast? I put. A, I don't keep interrupting you. I apologize, but I put, <laughs> I put so much time into Photoshop that, sure, I have like the merch store now. But that was primarily because I was like, I just couldn't bring myself to throw it all. I spent probably more time doing photos. You just don't see it because that was private and the po podcast mm -hmm. is public. But or even, you know, when I got into medical school and decided I didn't want to go, but I had all these insane study guides I had made, just these PowerPoints. I put them online. I literally just put them on Reddit and shit. And yeah. for years later, I would have people emailing me. I never thought twice about it. To me, I put them up because I got in. So I was like, my time in the war is yeah. over, so you can have all my weapons. I don't care. I'm out of here. I never gave it to anyone because I was like, I don't want competition. But what I had never anticipated was for like years later until I got banned from Reddit, people would just message me, though, and be like, hey, man, like, you know, I can't... I, I quickly realized, like, the, the main theme of all these emails were, like, I can't afford Kaplan or Exam Crackers or the right. Berkeley Review or... And what I had done is I had taken all of them, gone through each of them, and with my OCD, found the, the overlapping... or. Found the well, parts. that's that's similar to the the graduate student who wrote the sure. finite element tool that I used, which was uh, equivalent to commercial software that would have cost me thousands of dollars a year to license. Sure. And once I proved that it worked, it was like, you yeah. know, it, it 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 just it it answered a lot of questions for me. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and well, this is this is a public cast, sure. so if anybody is seeing this and is interested in uh, my research, feel free. Uh, my my contact info is at localroger.com, uh, and I will be happy to update anyone who is curious about it. It's it's not a big secret, or uh, in you know nothing about papercrete really is a that big of a secret mm. uh in fact there is a commercial product called hardy board which is very similar to this stuff but it's not structural the ironic thing about hardy board is it's siding it's sold as the product that you put on the side of your house to protect the plywood and the studs from the elements and it's basically papercrete in fact, it's basically compressed papercrete. I'm not quite sure what their process is, but no one is doing this as a structural material because that would require all kinds of weird changes to the building codes and all to allow it. 
you know, I was I was totally working on the fact that I would be doing this in Mississippi where there are no building codes in rural areas. I was basically told by a county commissioner to my face. Yeah. Oh yeah, once you buy a piece of land, you if you have the deed to that, you can build a skyscraper, you can build you can do whatever the fuck it's you want. The only wild, yeah. The only the only limitation is if you want electricity run to it, you have to put in a proper approved septic system. I wonder but if, if you want to be off, but if you but if you want to be off grid, put up solar panels, do all that, then you can do whatever the fuck you want. It's, it's like no one cares. I, I want, I'm just trying to think of because <laughs> get like that's just I guess how I look at things. Like the for me, like I don't regret trying to get in medical school. It's something I really wanted to do. But even just the very process taught me a lot about long term goals mm-hmm. and consistency and whatever. It was kind of a cool bonus that people later were like, "Hey, that helped me get to me." I was like, "Oh, there's a new, do- there's a doctor, there's an additional doctor in society. That's not a bad thing, you know." If the podcast ends one day, there will be something that someone will gather, even if it's just like, "Hey, if you stick with it, it will work." I'm just yeah. trying to think of paper. I mean, I wonder if it could be work used for like emergency housing and like after a tornado or after like a fire if you could throw shit up that doesn't necessarily need to last for decades maybe it just needs to last for a month if there's like a benefit there yeah it's well well the thing is it's massive by mm. by even though it's very lightweight compared to something like bricks or stone it's massive compared to ordinary stick construction like i said you know this the walls of this house are basically air contaminated with a little wood here and there. Hmm. That uh, you know, okay, uh, a papercrete wall is paper. It's twenty pounds per cubic foot through and through, uh, which has its advantages for thermal things and all. Uh, and it's cheap because paper is a waste product, but it's also time-consuming to produce. So there are limitations there. Uh, it, it's just one of those things where uh, none of the bells all rung at the same time, yeah. apparently. Uh, now, there are a lot of structures that have been built out of it. If you go looking, uh, if you put papercrete into the search engines, you'll see a lot of little projects come up where, where you're using the food processor to, you know, you know, do little small stuff. But if you if you go looking for the architectural stuff, there's no shortage of it. There's lots of people who have built houses and buildings this way, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the desert, the American Southwest. And uh, there's lots of anecdotes about it. And like I said, it's like I actually was able to go and spend uh, two weeks, you know, uh, one week at a time, two years, you know, about a year apart uh, at a bed and breakfast where the the rooms were made of this material and so i could experience the architecture uh there's plenty of private individuals who have done this uh so now what i've done would be really cool if if i was a younger man then you know i would i would certainly be looking at pursuing it but uh you know, my body gave me a warning ten years ago that maybe I should stick closer to cities, and yeah. they have building codes, and yeah. they don't like things like this. Uh, and plus, the water control problem. I did a lot of. I, I also did a lot of stuff about water control. You know, I, I made a lot of samples where I put in additives to try and reduce the intake, and I was never able to c- 
create a sample that wouldn't saturate. But I was able to create samples that took, you know, a week or two to saturate. So if you're in an environment where it doesn't rain that much, then you could maybe let it saturate and dry out, you know, mm. which is what some of the people in the desert do. Uh, you know, because, you know, I, it's like, I know I, I read one account of people and it's like they built a house that had, uh, it had a vaulted ceiling and everything was 18 inches thick. And they said, yeah, well, every once in a while it rains and, you know, because it's a desert, you know, but it rains and the vaporcrete absorbs the water. And they just let it evaporate. Hmm. Yeah, because because it, it you know because they had built it so strong that the additional weight from absorbing the water didn't compromise its integrity. Uh, so you've got to look at factors like that if if you're thinking of doing stuff along these lines. Uh, I think I probably applied more math to this than anybody ever has. Clyde Curry certainly seemed to think that I had, um, and. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting and challenging project. Uh, the most challenging part, though, ended up being finding a place to do something on a larger scale because this is a residential house in a subdivision. So I can't drag a tow mixer around the loop. <laughs> yeah, no one is going to put up with that shit yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, and and where would I put the structure that I built? You know, it, it's, you know, and uh, and in Louisiana, there is a statewide building code. So I would have to deal with that. Plus, my back, my my backyard floods once in a while. So guess that's just, a problem. Guess I'm just trying to think of like anything it could be used for. I don't know why the yeah. one thing that keeps popping in my mind, because I don't know anything about this. But I mean, they're constantly making like. You ever seen those towns that like the Secret Service will construct? Yeah. That, like these like little towns and shit, and it's for it's for extreme driving. I mean, ask ask Dale about you know Delta Force. They they go through these things all they're made out of plywood. You just constantly doing CQB in them. Even for some things like uh, for high high like like VIP raids like on Bin Laden. Like we built like a replica of the house, and so you can train on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, I knew about that. But then again, you know, it's not like the military ever cuts corners on cost. They'd be like, "Yeah, build it out of gold." They don't give a shit. So I mean, yeah, I'm just now they're gonna, well, they're they're going to basically use the, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood technology yeah. on that. You know, it doesn't have to be good, but yeah. it has to look right. Yeah, it has to have the right dimensions, but it doesn't have to last more than two weeks. Yeah, so, exactly. And I, I don't think you're really going to yeah. pit. Yeah, imagine pitching Papercrete to a bunch of like Dale guys who are training on like a life and death situation. Be like, yeah, it's got a lower carbon footprint. They'd be like, fuck off. <laughs> like, right. They, 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 you know, yeah. I'm just. I, yeah. I'm now. I'm just. Well, I'm just kind of like taking it as a puzzle in itself to find out what it could be used for. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it does make really good residential structures in places where you don't have building codes and you don't have a lot of rain. Hmm. So, or and and it never floods, which is a rather limiting factor, but that is also a rather large portion of the United States. Yeah. So, it it's uh, you know, I mean, I was I was looking at these challenges from the angle of doing it in Mississippi, yeah. which uh was not a thing that anyone had ever done before 
And as it turned out, I didn't end up getting to do it either because of other factors. But, you know, one day somebody might. If somebody is interested in that uh, and they see this podcast, uh, like I said, localroger.com. It'll, uh, it'll be something... It'll be something that will come that someone will find yeah. a use for. As with the original guy who invented the shit in 1926, uh, I don't expect to make a dime off of it. Well, sure. Uh, it's, uh, you know, but it's interesting what it can do. I mean, it's like, you know, this is a yeah. cool little so, Someone's going to find a, a fucking use for it in a way that none of us are foreseeing. It's going to be years down the road for some... Yeah. weird thing that no one thought of. The main, well, I mean, the main and the main thing is that, you know, billions of tons of paper go into landfills every year. Yeah, you're, you're, and this is a thing you can do with it other than putting it in the in the ground and burying it. Yeah, I mean, there's something there. But, you know, at the point where I got to where I was ready to do something real with it, the economy was like, no, you don't need this. Fuck me. That, that's... What was that that ship they wanted to build in World War Two? It was like the the Hibacuck or something. You ever hear about that? It was an aircraft carrier that would have dwarfed anything even today. But it was a ma- the one that made 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 of, of uh, ice. Of ice. Of ice. Yeah. But it, but it was it was ice and I think wood pulp. It wasn't just yep. ice. Mm-hmm. And it was the reason is is because they could make it absolutely enormous, and the they could yeah. put bombers on it that normally couldn't. The guy, the, the guy who invented the shit, uh, walked in on Winston Churchill in his bath, and dropped the sample into the bathtub with him, hmm. and they sat there watching it not melt. Yeah, and I guess even then though you're looking at total <laughs> war and use of material and. Yeah. That, well, that, well, that was it. As they were talking about building basically a floating island. Yeah. And it would have been, you know, it was out ridiculous. of ice. But <laughs> it's supposed to be ridiculous. Let me look it up. Yeah, I'm kind of at yeah. a loss. Then I don't really know what it, what it would be used for. The Hibacuck. Yeah. Well, that's another material. That's another one alternative material because you can tell I'm familiar with it. I know the story. Hab- uh, Habakkuk. Sorry. But, uh, again, it was never done because other things came to the fore, uh, which is what happened. It's just, you know, it's like, yeah, here I am after a lifetime of fascination with alternative housing, living in a stick-built house in a subdivision. Yeah. The Habakkuk so, would have been, it would have had a 2,000-foot runway. The yeah, b- biggest I mean, aircraft carrier today is like 1,100 feet. Yeah, you could make it. It would have been an absolutely enormous Monster. and Jeez. almost impossible to destroy yeah. by you know conventional uh, fire. So, you know, they uh, that was one of the things. Yeah, the British looked into that. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. Then. I don't know what paper creep would be. I guess it's yeah. It's what you said. It's what you keep saying is. You already, you're already built. You're already creating the component. What can you do with it? Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. I mean, I mean, so I yeah. So I spent like 
two and a half years of my life, uh, you know, this is what I did when I came home from work every day. I did these experiments, uh, testing formulas, making adjustments, building forms, trying different things. And, uh, you know, I had gotten to the point, you know, my next step would have been probably to build the larger version of the air compression form. Uh, and I wasn't sure how that would work with multiple bladders because in some situations, one bladder will hog all the air. So I might've had to come up with a distribution system. I would have had to done tests on that, but there I'm, I'm in a position where in order to make enough slip to fill that form, I need a much bigger mixer than I had. I need a place to stage the materials. I need a place, you know, I need a place to put the freaking final products and all, and I, I can't do that here. Hmm. You know, this is a 50 by 150 lot, you know, so it's, uh, you know, that, that, you know, I was looking at land when I realized that the housing market has collapsed and uh, it was about six years before another house sold on the street. So, uh, and by that time, I found out that I have coronary artery disease and this was not a practical thing for me to consider trying to do it as an individual building a house with my bare hands. So, uh, that kind of killed that dream. But uh, I'm not sorry that I spent that time doing it. I mean, I learned an awful lot about the you know properties of matter. I, I gave myself basically an entire uh, college course in engineering, figuring out how to deal with beams and loads and stuff like that. <laughs> so, And like, that's the point is it maybe doesn't need a a purpose in the traditional sense of what are you doing sometimes it's just i mean so like i i play video games and you guys watch and like it's fun but i mean i did that dude for i did that for years the same games i'm playing sometimes i'd listen to audio like right when i started the podcast i would use it to listen to audiobooks but before that i would just you know what's the point like tear down what was the point of of taking down the whole <laughs> world trade center level either limitations on the computer you gotta like remove Sometimes it's just like a, it's like an, it's just an itch yeah. that feels, you know, why does a dog scratch its ear? I don't know, man. It's, why does a cat sleep yeah. in the sun? Sometimes it's just no. like, I like it. It's fun. It's a nice little, I like it. Like it, This it, is, this is dimensionally stable to within a hundredth of an inch of what I intended. That this one of the things that might not be apparent about that form is that most of the parts of that form had to be accurate to within a hundredth of an inch in yeah. order for it to fit together the way that it does. And I had to come up with garage techniques to do that That's uh, fun, because man. I don't have a machine shop. It's fun. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it was like, and I did it. And I saw a meme the other day <laughs> where it was like, it's these guys somewhere out, out West or whatever, just these like dads that had, put all their like their time and money together and they'd refurbished like an 1880 steam engine or something and they got it fully <laughs> running right and like some woman on facebook commented like men will dump thousands of man hours into re like repurposing a train 
instead of going to therapy. And somebody commented, like, <laughs> somebody commented, no, this is guys doing therapy. This, uh, that is therapy. It yes. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I've done therapy before, and sometimes there's no replacing it. And, you know, just like medication, sometimes you just need medication. But, man, the yeah. end of a long day doing several podcasts, there's nothing I love more than just like, all right, we're running through Hitman this level. Or even just like BMNG, what are we doing? We're gonna drive each car off a cliff, and we're gonna see which one lasts, which one lasts longer. Why? Fuck off! I don't know. It's fun, right? And then there's real value. We're all hanging out and laughing about it. But it's just sometimes it's just that's it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was completely alone when I was doing all this shit. Yeah, but, well, you know, but you it was yeah. like, but I was I was learning about you know matter, the world, things that I, you know. It's like it's fun. How does paper? How does paper work? It's fun. You, yeah, it's just I, I mean, how many people actually understand how paper works? Yeah, yeah. I figured out how many kilometers of cellulose are in a cubic inch of paper. Yeah, and how many intersections they form so that the Portland cement bar has how many particles of Portland cement are there in a cubic foot? Yeah, yeah. Because the reason, yeah, it's like yeah, that there's. All the stuff, and 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 what I found out was that most of the people who had been working on this had not actually gone down that rabbit hole. Yeah, they were just throwing shit in mixers to see what would happen. I I, I come up and, and Clyde Curry looked at me like I was from Mars but on my second trip to Eve's Garden because I brought a bunch of these samples to him, and it was like no one has ever made anything like this. Yeah, and I'm like, well, you know, there's uh, it's uh math yeah you know it's uh it's it's it it, it does uh, it doesn't all and, the, and then and then I, and then of course i figured out that you know what he was doing was like you know those paper creep blocks you're making aren't doing anything it's the mortar that's doing everything it's a cellular structure so it's extremely strong it's monolithic because you're forming it all at the same time there's no cold joints so you could be putting that mortar on cardboard boxes. It would be just as strong. Oh, wait. <laughs> and, you know, so I was, I was like looking at doing experiments like that. But again, I can't do experiments like that here because there's not enough room. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was exactly the point. I was looking at both of these technologies as possible spring points to doing something where I would live in in the future after selling this house and then i realized oh the selling this house part that's not going to happen anytime soon yeah and uh if ever you know it's like in 2008 no one knew what the hell was going to happen it had just all you know the bottom had fallen out so uh you know by the time there was light at the end of that tunnel then I was having a stent put in and I was an old man. I was like, Oh, you gotta be careful. You 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 know, it's like uh yeah, living in the middle of nowhere, nowhere near a hospital might not be such a yeah. good idea anymore. Uh fuck, how did that happen? I used to be twenty years old. Well, yeah. that was forty years ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's how that happened. But then there's shit like, you know, it doesn't all have a profit margin. It's not all applicable into some real world scenario. But like, like the, you know, the goofiness of like, like teardown, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I can't take all this down. It's like, well, can we do a smaller level? And you do it. 
and you keep coming back to it and finally you're like i think there's like a method to do this right we got to do this got to vacuum <laughs> it can't let it hit too hard here it's going to fall through the floor and it's just this whole thing of like and then you hit the moment of like it can be done but now it's just how much time can i put into it and then once you do it Man, I, it sounds like a joke, but, like, I really do take away value from that stuff. So when I find a huge undertaking, like, I want to... No, it was fun watching you do it. Well, that alone is It was is like, fun. you could see, I could see the pleasure on your face as, as you were conquering this stupidly ridiculous problem. But then... And... That flows, <laughs> but that then flows into stuff where it's like, it felt like forever, but you finally figured out. I do apply that to shit where I'm like keep working on the podcast it's just tear down scaled mm -hmm. up by a hundred i'm like it's gonna break it's <laughs> there's gonna be disappointment but you are gonna hit the point where you go fuck and it finally finishes at 7 a.m one night and it's like i got it like dude that's that's more fun than like conquering an army it's just like i did the fucking thing it's yeah. fun just fuck off it, it's it, fun it it is yeah i mean i mean i've i've done that many 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 times in my life with the, the whole programming thing and it's like, yeah, there's nothing quite like conquering a project, yeah. even if it's not your project. If it's something, well, like it's, it's like, it's a, you know, my my motivational word is impossible. If you tell me that it can't be done, then it's the most fun thing in the world for me is to do figure it. Figure it out. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I was just a, I uh, I had a customer three years ago. I pitched them. They have. A system. They have three truck scales spread out over like a quarter of a mile and an office. And everything communicates to a computer in the middle of it. And they keep blowing out the communication ports. So, you know, we've gone through like two generations of communication converters. And the one that we were using just became unavailable. It, manufacturer stopped making it and meanwhile three years ago I, I i designed a radio system for them and you know it's like we had we have a technology where we can just eliminate all of these wires under the ground that keep getting hit by lightning and do it wireless and they were like well we're you know it's like we got some other wireless systems they're not that reliable and i'm like well this one Actually, you know, I, I I believe this is this is a very good technology. Uh, well, since then, we've put the same technology in at like a dozen other customers, and we've got a couple of service guys who just rave about how great it works. It's based on it. It uses the underlying technology of Wi-Fi, but it doesn't require you to connect to a network and you know establish a connection. It's it's peer to peer. Uh, but everything is error corrected. It's you know, it's like if you send a message, and you don't get an acknowledgement, then the program that sent the message gets a callback that says there's an error. It didn't. It wasn't received, and you can deal with it. You know, you can raise a flag or or, or, or look for another path or whatever. So it was like you know, no, this is really good shit. You know, this is better than the stuff that was before. Well, you know. We pitched them to it three years ago, and they're like, "Well, we're thinking about it." So I, I, I actually built all the shit to to retro their system. It's been in a card cardboard box for three years. They had a purchase order last Thursday. Oh, 
yeah, we can't get any more current loop converters. So it's like, all right, let's go ahead and put the radio system in. I don't even remember how the fucking thing works. Yeah. It's like, it's going to take me half of next week to put it back together and figure out how to install it because it it's just been sitting there this whole time. Yeah. But it it's on 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 the other hand, it'll feel really really good to fix this goddamn problem that has yeah. been a thorn in our butt for the last 10 years. It's, but it is like one of the, <laughs> the simplest pleasures is just figuring something out. It's just mm-hmm. it's just great. Like it's just just cuz like there's no who gives yeah we're shit. wired that way yeah it feels you got you got thumbs you got eyes and ears you can move around so much weight it's, I'm just, I believe it's, that there is a fundamental positive I think it keeps reinforcement you alive, yeah I, I I think there is a fundamental positive reinforcement that we feel to learning yeah. even when the thing we learn is negative yeah Absolutely. And I think that explains a lot of weird things about the way that humans act. Uh, if, if you just say, well, there's a positive reinforcement to the fact that you learned something and that it fits within your world model and everything goes together. And all right. And then you that 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 just gives you a little frisson of nice feeling. Right. Well, uh, even if it's a bad thing, even if it's like, oh, that Touching this, touching the stove hurt. Yeah. Don't do that again. Yeah. But I figure it out that touching the stove is not a good idea. Yeah. So, I'm you know, I'm good there. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and uh, I I think that there is uh, an element of that that is universal that we we actually are positively reinforced on learning even when what we have learned is something unpleasant yeah yeah uh, the fact that we learned it is itself positively reinforced yeah so that's that's a thing that i have is that's one of those edge case things we were talking about uh that uh i've observed in uh a number of situations i think the if i had to take away anything from it is that it ultimately it helps me with daunting things in life, be it depression or anxiety or controlling what I eat or substance abuse or not being a good friend is these things that just seem so like, just like a 19 dimensional Rubik's cube. Sometimes you can look at it and you're like, I have figured shit out before. Mm-hmm. It just, sometimes it just makes you feel less scared. You go, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I know, like now, like, I mean, I still have problems, but like getting over losing a brother, terrible, but man, I still look at that all the time. No matter how fuck something is, I'm like, I can, I can do this. I, and sometimes it's a long time, like moving home with mom and dad when you're 26. I was like, this should take a couple months. I lived there for five years, <laughs> but I look back at it and I'm like. It did eventually end. Yeah. So, like, what's yeah. in front of us? Okay, we can. You can deal out. with it. You have the strength. You know that you have the strength, and and that is a valuable thing yeah. to yeah. be able to tell to tell yourself. It's, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it, it's yeah. I mean, I've uh, I've been there, and not, nothing quite that bad. I, That's I mean, all subjective. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, I like I almost went blind earlier this year, and I was. Uh, yeah, fucked you up. It, I, I, it it did. I mean, I was in a state of existential despair, like I've I, I've never experienced before. In, uh, in in fact, my I was talking with my wife about it last night, and it was just like you know, uh, even though I knew that there was a technology that was supposedly able to fix this, you're never completely sure, sure. until it it's done. But what I was completely sure of that I was too blind to drive the car anymore. I, I was coming home and I, I realized I have no business behind the wheel of a car. I, I, I It's like I'm a responsible person. I am a very active driver. It's like I and I'm not getting information that I need to pilot this vehicle the way that I need to pilot it. And when uh, when it was all over and done and I told my optometrist that, that, that he was just like, I wish more of my patients had that 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 wisdom you know but it also filled me with a just overwhelming sense of helplessness because in america if you can't drive you're fucked yeah it's like our whole infrastructure is based on on that and it's like i wouldn't be able to drive i wouldn't be able to read i wouldn't be able to watch a a movie or tv i was like i was i was like you know I would, I would, you know, I, I thought I would have very seriously considered suicide. Sure. Uh, if I went blind, it, it, it was, you know, because, you know, it's one thing if you're a young person and you have a chance to, you know, yeah, you learn Braille, you you adapt to it and all. I'm almost 60. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. I, I mean, it's like, I don't, I, it's like, what am I, what, what the fuck am I going to do yeah. now? Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, and just the astonishing fact that the world will do this to you. And, you know, it was just, and it came out of nowhere. Uh, so it, it's, yeah, you're constantly, you know, assaulted by, you know, things. Most of them are little, but then sometimes they're things like that. And, uh, that was one that just took me down. I mean, I was yeah. like, I was, I was in this office and I just started crying so loud that my wife came and was, was like, what's wrong? It's like, I'm going blind. It's like, you know, and she was trying to comfort me and I was like, you can't do anything about this. But then even that is like, you get through it and all the hurdles and the fear of like medical procedures. And the takeaway is, is you probably feel a little less helpless now. You're like, this too shall pass. It's scary, but it's like, here we are. There, the, there's that. And, but, but it's also the, the other thing is, is that every once in a while I'll think about it and it'll just come back to me. Sure. And you know, that, that overwhelming sense of despair and I'll, I'll, I'll just find myself crying again uh and uh i think technically that's what ptsd is sure uh but uh you know and and that may seem like a trivial thing no compared to what other men have gone through 
no. you get to that point. But it, it's uh, it's lived experience, you know. It, it's you know I never expected to be there. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, coming coming back back to the thing. So yeah, you know, but yeah, so I wasted two and a half years of my life doing fun shit like this but on the other hand it's not wasting man it's fun as fuck I did have a lot of fun yeah it's fun I as mean, fuck I was out I was out in my driveway with the the cylindrical form pressing a cylinder when a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses came up and that was an interesting conversation but so one thing I kind of look at, like, ah. tasks and stuff is, like, they're good little treats to get you to the end. So, like, I don't focus on, like, the huge picture of the podcast where I'm, like, it probably, I can graph it and go, it'll probably become profitable in, like, two more years. You can't, you can't, like, rationally go, okay, only two more, like, that's way too long. Like, I break days, I break mm-hmm. it down into little days where it's, like, that's why I'm always like switching the video game. Once I've had the most fun with it, I move to something else because when I wake up, I instead of going, going to go to the gym and then do three podcasts and then go to bed, you go, I have to do that for two more years. You go, fuck this. But instead, I'm like, <laughs> I just got to knock out these three shows today and then I'm going to play Sniper Elite with Ben and we're going to fucking shoot Nazis and like we're all going to be hanging out and chat. Mm-hmm. That's like a little treat and that pulls me through the day. And then yeah. you look back. And two years goes by. So that's that's kind of how I look. It's like just these little things of like, just get to the end of the day. Just get to the end of the day. Yeah. And and one day you wake up and realize that you're 30 years older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'll come too. And I'll deal with that shit when I get there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you. That yeah. will happen. I'm, just, I'm very, just, just heads up. I'm very, my, my, my dad has given me the sage advice of don't get old. I've uh, taken that and I'll, you know, do something with it. Um but, Raj, for now, let's wrap this up. I don't know if I have another podcast in five minutes. I haven't heard back from the guests, so I will or will not have another show. If I don't have a show, we'll start the gaming stream early. If not, gaming streams should probably start at, like, 8 or 9. It's going to be a later one. But, um, guys, go into the description. Yeah. Please go buy Raj. I'll keep an eye on your Rumble channel. We'll so. I'll try to get it up sooner <laughs> than later. Um, but, yeah, thank you for another Professor Roger episode. And, uh, yeah, guys, go into the description. Please go grab the book. And, it's a pleasure uh, as always. Yes, sir. And I will see you on the gaming stream later. Guess so. Fuck yeah. All right, Roger. Much love. Guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Recording Stay stopped. safe out there. God bless. Peace. <laughs>